Hi there. So two readings today. First one is Psalm 11 and second one is Colossians 3, 18 to 19. Psalm 11, page 541. In the Lord I take refuge. How then can you say to me, flee like a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bows. They set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. He observes everyone on earth. His eyes examine them. The Lord examines the righteous. But the wicked, those who love violence, he hates with a passion. On the wicked, he will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur. A scorching wind will be their lot. For the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. The upright will see his face. And Colossians 3, 18 to 19, it's on page 1184. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. And husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Good morning, everyone. It's very quiet. It's nice to be back. I've been sick in bed for the last uh, 10 days, and it's good to be here in church with you. I missed last Sunday. I heard it went very well. Uh, Let me pray as we come and look at God's Word. Father, we thank you that we can be here today. And Lord, as we look at a very sensitive, significant and important topic, I pray. Give us grace and wisdom and truth and courage and conviction. And I pray, Lord, for marriages and for us as a community that this would be a safe place for everyone all of the time in Christ. Amen. I remember meeting Jane and John... That's not their real names, but for the sake of the message, let's just call them Jane and John. Jane had just started coming to our church. She was a new Christian. John came occasionally. I wasn't quite sure where he was in his faith. He looked happy to be there. I remember finding out later on, having met Jane for a while, that she'd gone to speak to her Bible study leader and shared with her about the relationship that she was in with her husband. And it was a relationship that you would say was characterised by domestic abuse. It was quite shocking for me as a young minister to hear this. This was something I thought happened out in the bad world. I'd encountered that before. I'd rung the police on numbers of occasions when there were relationships where police had to intervene. But this was in the church. And Jane spoke of how her lovely John used to punch holes in the wall at home and threaten her and verbally abuse her. Her kids were scared of him. And I thought, does this really happen in church families? 
Today we're going to look at a very significant, a very important topic. It's that of domestic violence. And I could have started by looking at the statistics because they are horrendous. But it's only as you see the reality of abuse in real relationships, you see the sadness and the fear and the devastation that takes place that you really start to understand the depth and the gravity of this issue. One thing I want to say very clearly is everyone has a right to feel safe all the time. Not just safe some of the time, but everyone has a right to feel safe all of the time. And so today, as we're going to look at this issue of domestic violence, what I want to do is help us to understand the issue and what we can do to build families and marriages where people in them are safe all of the time. It's a massive issue for our country. Uh, It's been highlighted in the news, in the media, um, on a number of fronts. But as we've seen in the last year or two, it's an issue for churches as well. It's not just an issue that's out there that's in Manly, but it's an issue that's in here in St Matthews. And I've had to personally deal with this issue on a number of occasions. I wish I hadn't had to, but the reality is I have. Let me tell you a bit more about Jane and John. I remember John and meeting him And I went to see him and talk to him just to find out about him and his story and also about his faith. This is before I knew about the domestic violence. I remember we came to a point and we asked him about his faith and he quoted back, literally like that, Romans 10.9. When I asked him about did he have any assurance about whether he would be accepted into heaven and he said in a flash... Those who confess, sorry, those who believe in their hearts that Jesus is raised from the dead and confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord will be saved. And he just looked straight back at me. And it was what you might call a textbook clinical answer. There was something unnerving about the way it was so clinical. But it was hard to doubt. And yet this was the John I found out later would punch holes in the walls and verbally abuse his wife and that his kids were scared of. Churches are not immune from this issue. In our Bible reading today, we come to the next section of Colossians. And when we planned this series out last year, we looked at these verses and said, we must talk about this issue. Let me read those verses to us again. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And it's not hard to hear the Bible say from this reading, husbands, love your wives and do not abuse them. And today I'm not going to address really the first part of that verse on submission. What we want to do is really just explore what this second part of the verse means, husbands love your wives and do not be harsh with them. It's worth saying at this point though, uh, not all domestic violence and abuse as you will hear today is men against women. I know of numbers of occasions where it's been women against men. But to help us uh, think about this, I thought it's very important particularly 
on this issue to actually hear from a woman speak about it. And so we're very privileged today to have our most senior Anglican clergywoman in the diocese with us today. Uh, her name is Cara Hartley. She's the Archdeacon for Women's Ministry in the Sydney Diocese. She's also the co or the deputy chair for the Archbishop's Task Force that is investigating and reporting back and working on the diocesan response to domestic abuse. And so if I can just say it's a great pleasure to have you here today, Cara. Can I get you to welcome Cara up, who's going to share the message with me today? Thank you. It's good to be here. Great to have you here, Cara. Um, let me start with a question. Uh, you've been working with the task force on this. Mm -hmm. um, what exactly is domestic violence, if you can define that for us today? Sure. The, the definition we've come up with as a task force is that domestic violence or domestic abuse is not limited to but includes emotional, verbal, social, economic, psychological, spiritual, physical and sexual abuse. And such behaviour often seeks to control and humiliate or dominate and instil fear in a victim. So that's the definition we're working with. You often hear it as DV, yep. domestic violence. Uh, you've given a much broader definition here, which is um, really saying it's domestic abuse, not violence. Um, why was that? Yeah, we chose to use the expression domestic abuse rather than domestic violence to avoid the common misapprehension that phys physical abuse is the only abuse that counts as domestic violence. We wanted to make sure all those other definitions were included. We've also chosen to refer to victims of domestic abuse uh, rather than survivors. Uh, we want to acknowledge that many victims go on to be survivors, absolutely, but we also want to acknowledge that that's not always true. So we use the, the terms domestic abuse and we use the, the term victim. Now, we typically hear that it's men against women. Uh, I read a very helpful handbook put out by South Australian churches and it almost exclusively refers to abuse in terms of men against women. Mm. Uh, is it just men against women or is it a broader issue than that? It isn't just men against women, but let's be clear, the majority of cases it is men against women. So our statistics, and the best one we've got is a 2012 personal um, safety survey that was done by the Australian Bureau of Statistics. And mostly there, it is male against female violence. Women were more likely than men to experience uh, particularly physical violence by a partner. And that's, the statistics say about one in six women have experienced this kind of violence in an intimate partner relationship since the age of 15. Uh, over a 12-month period, I heard from the New South Wales coroner recently that one woman every week is killed by her partner in a domestic violence situation. The one thing that doesn't get raised very often, but I think is very important to say in our culture, is that Indigenous women are 35 times more likely to experience domestic abuse in their relationships. I also want to say that uh, overall women are more likely to have experienced emotional abuse uh, from a partner, say one in four women. But as we said, while it is true that more women are likely to experience this violence, it's not just women. Uh, the statistics on female to ma male domestic abuse are less clear, often because the reporting from men is uh, less available. 
but basically we can say it's generally accepted about one in 20 men will experience some form of domestic abuse uh, from an intimate partner. So as we're a church community made up of men and women, I think it's really important that we acknowledge, yes, primarily male to female violence, abuse, but not uh, exclusively. Okay. And there's one last stat you got there. Which one of I One in seven. One in seven, yeah. One in seven men have experienced emotional abuse by a partner since the age of 15. Uh, again, we, very, it's hard to get true statistics, but uh, that's a generally accepted stat. Yeah, and it's worth adding, if I can put it this way, uh, my first encounter with physical domestic violence was actually uh, a wife mm. from church who used to beat her husband up. And... I remember just thinking, is that possible? Now, the husband never came, uh, and I worked out why when I found this out. Um, objects would be thrown at him. Uh, it was a very, very violent relationship, and it was shocking for me to find that out. Now, we know from these statistics that it's a massive issue for the country. Um, one of the things that's been raised in the media over the last year, uh, particularly in the last six weeks, is to what extent is it an issue in churches? Now, you're on the task force. Uh, How big an issue is it for us here in church? We've been interviewing victims as part of our work. Uh, I've personally interviewed a number of victims, so we know it's reality. We know it's there, and one person is one person too many, isn't it? The statistics are hard to discover in church. We don't have a comprehensive study that's been done in Australia. We do have some studies from other parts of the world which are getting a little dated now. So we need to uh, think about that again, about how we get reliable statistics. Can I just say, though, that abuse within church communities, um, there's a lot of shame around abuse. That's true out in our community and even more so in our church community. So it's actually very difficult to know how, how reliable any statistics are. But we've had um, several interviews with a number of victims, and we know that one person is far too many anyway. Let me move to a more difficult topic, which is the question of headship and submission. Now, it's in the Bible reading today. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess my question for you today is this. To what extent is teaching on headship enabling domestic abuse in our churches? It's one of the questions that's been raised in the media. Um, Give us your thoughts, Cara. I think it's important to recognise the complexity behind domestic abuse. At the heart of domestic abuse is the need for power and control. That's what lies at the heart of it. And there's many factors that will drive or enable that kind of abuse. And we know, for example, that alcohol and drugs will be one of those enablers. But for us in the church, when it comes to particular teaching on headship, I think we do need to recognise that perpetrators may use this teaching to to twist it to their own advantage and use it against their wives for their own gain. So our challenge is to affirm this teaching, affirm the different roles of men and women in marriage without appearing misogynistic, without appearing archaic or demeaning. I think to show the beauty of headship, that's a really important job. It's actually uh, for the wife's protection and for her care. I was hearing recently from someone and they mentioned a Puritan writer writing hundreds of years ago who describes marriage and the role of the husband like this, that the husbands are to overcome their wives with love. Isn't that a beautiful example of the husband's role as he sacrificially leads and cares for his wife? 
Now, I just want to stop here for a moment uh, and speak, if I could say, as your senior minister. And one of the reasons we're doing this together is there's numbers of points where I want to speak to you as your pastor. And I've seen firsthand how this has been abused. John, who I mentioned at the beginning, and Jane, one of the things Jane told the women was that when it came to bedtime, John would quote Ephesians 5 to her. You are to submit to me. I'm your head. I want sex. Now, that's a nice way of describing the way it was put to the girl, to the lady. I found it unbelievable. I just could not understand how any man would take this text and use it in this way. The fact that he thought his wife would respond appropriately beggared belief. And I want to say to us all, uh, it's incomprehensible that a man would use the Bible this way. And I want to say I've seen it and I've heard of it done this way in numbers of occasions. Now, I believe in the biblical teaching and the vision of marriage between a man and a woman that we are complements, husbands and wives. It's a relationship where the Bible says the husband is the head and the wife is to submit to that headship. But the headship that the Bible describes is one where we as husbands are authorised to love and to serve our wives. That's it. And the way that is described in Ephesians is that I am to be like Christ to my wife who gave up his life for the church. And so the call of scripture on my life as a husband is that I'm to lay down my life for Kathy and love her and serve her. That's the authority that I have. It's to love her and serve her and to lay down my life for her. So as husbands, we get to give up our lives for our wives and wives are called to voluntarily submit to this loving care and service. Now, let me just say, whatever your theory of marriage relationships might be, and you may agree with me on this point, you may not. I want to say crystal clear to all of us, husbands are never told to make their wives submit to them. I am not authorised to do that. I am not told to do that. I cannot say to Kath, you must submit to me. There is no authority for that to happen. Husbands cannot demand of their wives. Full stop. End of conversation. Husbands cannot boss their wives. Full stop. End of conversation. We cannot control our wives. We cannot abuse our wives. And I'm with my former Moore College principal and former Archbishop Peter Jensen when he said that to use the terminology of the Bible or our prayer book marriage vows as an excuse to demand slave-like civility or even to engage in physical and emotional bullying is to misuse it utterly and no wife should feel spiritually obliged to accept such treatment. Now let me finish with a question. There is a well-known American pastor called John Piper and he's a wonderful Bible teacher typically and I've loved listening to him, reading him, very helpful. But on this issue, 
He said, and I quote, on headship and submission in marriage, that as an outworking of this teaching, a wife might endure perhaps being smacked one night before seeking help from the church. Now, let me put you in the hot seat, Carol. What would you say to that? I can't um, begin to express how horrified I am when I hear that. It, it, it grieves me beyond words, really. And I'm very glad that John Piper has since retracted that. Let me be clear about that. This is, that is not biblical teaching. Uh, that is not the message the Bible gives to women. Biblical headship and sub- submission has no place for abuse. Just as I said before, uh, the husband's role is to overcome, as head, is to overcome his wife with love. And we just talked about that sacrificial love based on uh, Christ and his love for the church. That's what Ephesians 5 is about. And in Ephesians 5, there is no place for abuse. It's said so clearly that the husband's headship is based entirely on Christ. So if you think that this doctrine gives you permission to abuse your wife, uh, to lord it over her then, and have some control over her, then I can just tell you, you are twisting scripture. And if that is you, and if you are discovering today that you are on the wrong side of this, can I urge you to seek help? Now, Cara, sometimes, and I've seen this happen, where a domestic violence situation is being described... And typically it's been with the man against the woman, though it could be the other. And it will run like this. I know I've done the wrong thing, but... But she made me do it. She nags all the time. I was just at the end of a bad day. Look... I just had too many drinks that night. If you knew what I had to live with, what would you say to that? It's interesting, isn't it? Imagine your family and your child came up to you and said, Mum, Dad, I know I did the wrong thing, but... At that point, do you let them get away with that behaviour? We don't let that happen to our eight-year-old children. At what point in an adult's life do they say, oh, I know that was, wasn't right, but it's not my fault, it's their fault. I just think that's an outrageous um, kind of excuse trying to get out of a situation. Domestic abuse is not about somebody losing their temper at the end of the bad day, a bad day. It's not about them losing control at the end of a hard day. Domestic abuse is a choice to actually act in a controlling way. This is never an excuse to abuse verbally, physically, in any way. I've had a bad day, therefore I'm going to take it out on somebody else. That is just not an excuse and is not acceptable in any way. Now, one of the things I think worth thinking about is um, we're acknowledging the reality of it and the wrongness of it, but what are the underlying issues that are driving domestic abuse in relationships? I I think they are so complex and we don't want to just limit it to one thing. Um, There's many contributory factors, alcohol and drugs, as I've mentioned. Abuse happens because the abuser acts in a way that enables them to have power and control over another person. And can I say at this point, abusers are often very good groomers. 
um, particularly I'll just use a male to female abuse example, the men in the congregation could be very lovely people. Getting a, you play golf with them, you hang out with them, you have a beer with them at the pub, whatever it might be, they are, they are your best friend. They'll ingratiate themselves to the ministry team. They look like great people and that's part of the whole plan. They need to, to maintain the good guy persona here and then maintain the control at home. So I think there's a lot of complexes, uh, complex situations that go into creating an abusive situation. But can I just say, as Christians, we have further insight into this behaviour. And it's, we know that sitting behind all this desire for power and control is sin. Uh, too often today, I think we fail to speak strongly against sin. We, we now teaching and preaching, we talk about brokenness and finding healing, and I think that's right and true in the Christian life. But we can see, clearly see that this kind of behaviour is against God's will and desire for how we treat one another, and it's sinful, it's evil, it's wicked, and we need to name that. So I think there's layers for domestic abuse. At the foundational level, there's sin. But not, we're all sinners, but not all of us become abusers. So on top of that sin is this desire for power and control over another that's enabled by perhaps our external environments, perhaps even by us taking scripture and twisting it and using it in such an evil and wicked way. So it's complex. Okay. Um, I'd like us to think practically about the issue today and we're going to spend, and it's worth saying, this is a slightly longer message today um, because it's such an important topic. Um, and I want us to think about how we help people who are facing domestic violence. How should we respond as Christians to sure. domestic violence? I think first of all, and this is part of today, isn't it, to not be naive, to not think it can't happen amongst our own fellowship. Tragically, it does. So that's the first thing. Uh, secondly, responding with love and compassion, listening, believing and respecting the victim. Knowing that maybe at church over morning tea, you might have a 20-minute conversation with somebody and right at the end, they might say something. Right at the very end, you're just about to go, stop listen and believe. Uh, I think we take, make it clear as we teach the Bible that God is against violence. God hates it and it has no place in the Christian life and certainly no place in Christian marriages. So that would be the first thing I'd say. Okay. Now, what I want to do now is um, just slow down and actually think about what this looks like. And so what I'm going to do is ask Cara specifically what domestic violence or abuse looks like in a relationship. And there, I want to do this so that we're clear about it. Because it strikes me that sometimes people can be in abusive relationships and what a normal person would say is abusive has become normal for them. Because they're trapped in a cycle of relating that they think, oh, well, that's just how it is. Um, and... I want to be able to today actually name what this reality is in very concrete terms. And the other thing is, um, people can be trapped, and you might be here this morning and you feel trapped in a relationship. And we actually just want to name these are things that we think should not be happening in marriages. And so let me say to us all before Cara answers these questions, it may be challenging and traumatic to hear for some because it may be talking about what you're currently experiencing. But we need to hear and understand this so that we can prevent abuse happening in our lives and in the lives of those around us so that people are safe all of the time. Uh, Cara, what does physical abuse look like? Sure. 
I'm going to answer these questions based on male to female abuse, but please note, it can always go the other way. It's just so I don't keep tripping up on pronouns and things like that. Um, physical abuse, it's the classics, isn't it? Hitting, shoving, uh, grabbing, restraining, pulling of hair, shaking, choking a victim. Somebody comes to church in very long sleeves and high collars in the middle of summer. Chances are they're potentially bruises under there somewhere. But it's not just against your physical person. It can in include things like uh, destroying property, destroying a treasured possession, grandma's clock, uh, photos, letters, things like that, the trauma of losing those things, perhaps even torturing a pet, destroying furniture, punching walls, those kind of things. Okay. Uh, that's probably one that is obvious. Yes. Um, emotional abuse, what does that look like? This is undermining someone's confidence, making her believe she's stupid and inept, you're a bad mother, you're a hopeless mother, you're a terrible wife, my friends don't have terrible wives like you, uh, talking down to her, humiliating her and denigrating her, you're useless, you can't do anything right. Often, and I spoke to one victim, she was made to feel like she was crazy and insane. And that's the, the message he was kind of giving to her friends, threatening to even harm her friends and family members, that emotional manipulation. One that's interesting, and I've heard of this, is using silence as a weapon. So a husband will come home and he will not speak to his wife for months, if not years. He will come in, make his own dinner, sit in front of the television, go to bed and not say a word. Imagine how that would mess with your mind uh, day in and day out, having no communication with the person you live in with. Social abuse? Social is interesting. It's the isolating a victim from everyone they know, preventing her from having contact with people, disconnecting her from family and friends, total control, uh, dictating where she may go, whom she may see, often will have an app on her phone tracking where she is at any point in the day. No, if she's somewhere where she's she not supposed to... Uh, potentially, but often not so much. Good grief. I know, it's, it's awful. Um, he may allow her to go to some places like church, but she has to be home by a very particular time. You might know of someone being socially isolated there's a, you've got a Women's Day coming up. You're having a conversation in church. You're coming to the Women's Day. A normal kind of marriage relationship, normally in the commas, would be, oh, look, that's a great thing. I just should check with my husband, make sure that'll work with the kids, you know, everything. Someone being socially isolated, you say, are you coming to the Women's Day? And she might say, oh, I don't think my husband would let me do that. He doesn't like it when I do things without him on the weekends. Is that so... That could be a warning sign, those kind of conversations. Financial abuse? Financial, it's uh, control of money. Can, sorry, just on the social abuse. Social media is a really interesting form of abuse. You may not have thought about this. A friend of yours puts up a status update. My husband is the best husband in the world. He does everything around the house, blah, blah, blah. It's quite possible he could have done that and put that status update to continue that grooming idea that he is the good guy. Just that, I've heard of that happening. Mm -hmm. Financial is the control of money. No debit cards, no credit cards, no, no um, 
information about what's going on in the family finances. He controls it all. He gives her a spending allowance, but it's not for her. It's for groceries and it's for him. She's not allowed to spend any money on herself, not the cup of coffee, not even the underwear, um, things like that. One lady was had to make all her own clothes for herself and her children over the years. Uh, she had to learn to sew. He forced her to learn to sew, so she made the clothes for herself and her children, so she wasn't allowed to spend any money on them. Now, you had one where the woman was financially abusing the yeah, husband. Yeah, I do. A yeah, someone I know uh, was in a marriage, and the wife would go out and spend incredible amounts of money using up their savings, using up money that was set aside for the children's school. And when he challenged her on that, she would basically said to him, you have no right to dictate to me what I can spend our money on or not. That's outrageous. And basically continued to bleed them dry. What about psychological abuse? What does that look like? Again, I think it's similar to emotional abuse. Um, it's withholding affection and in, um, using intimidation a mix of a number of the other abuses, perhaps even stalking. So she, she's allowed to go out, but then he follows and makes sure she said where she's going to be with the people she said she was going to be. Then an extra person comes along, you know, Jane comes along just randomly. The questions come afterwards. What was Jane doing there? You didn't say she was going to be there. How come she was there? What's going on with Jane? Do you, all of those kind of questions. Um, damaging property. One, one example I know of is uh, after night church, the husband wasn't happy with some of the conversations that took place, and as they drove home, he drove dangerously and recklessly to threaten her, basically, to drive in a way that she felt her life was in danger and he would crash the car in any second. Um, it's, that kind of psychological uh, torment would be just horrid. Okay, we've got two left. Mm. Take a breath. Yeah. Um, spiritual abuse. This is a form, I think, of, of psychological abuse, as we've said, the misuse of scripture, belittling or manipulating or having control over a woman. Uh, the Bible verses like, a nagging wife is like a dripping tap. You are a nagging wife, you know, those kind of things. Ephesians 5, making her submit, making, it's, it's not his job, as we've said, but saying, you have to submit to me. Um, telling her that she is called to love him at all costs, 1 Peter 4, reminding her of her marriage vows and the responsibility she has to stick with them. So using the Bible in that manipulative okay. way. Last one, um, sexual abuse, what does that look like? This is one of the hardest to ever identify and also um, virtually impossible to prosecute against. Uh, things like rape in marriage, being forced to perform sex acts or to have a sex a certain number of times a week, the perpetrator insisting that they have the control over the body of the other person, uh, insisting that sex is when they want and how they want and must be performed whenever the abuser wants it, being violent in sex and conducting sex acts that belittle or demean their partner. Okay, let's just uh, draw breath. Um, it's quite confronting to hear this. Um, I guess running through my head when we plan the talk was, what if someone here is going through what you've just described? Mm. What should I do? What if I know someone? Yeah. Um, if you suspect someone, you could gently try and draw them out and show them you are a safe person to talk to. 
uh, whether it's been after today's talk or at another time, to show them that domestic abuse is something you are so concerned about and would, if any of your friends were dealing with that, you would love to know so you could help them. So know, show them you're a safe person. Be ready to listen and respect and hear and believe, as I said before. If you are witnessing a violent act or if you know a victim who might be in immediate danger, you must call Triple O. You must call the police and bring them in. There we go. <laughs> um, thank you. I would suggest you also help, help them seek help from professional and local domestic violence organisations. 1-800-RESPECT is a great resource. Make use of that phone number. Um, you may even need to provide the phone for them to make that phone call. Because, of course, if you're being abused, call logs, call histories uh, are monitored by, your by the perpetrator. Consider what practical help you can offer. Um, what are you able to do? But it's also letting the victim have control about how they make access of that. It might be that they're not ready to, even though they've just told you or confessed that they're a victim, they may not be ready to make that next step. And gosh, that's difficult. It's so difficult to sit, let that sit with you, but you need to honour the victim and walk with them at the pace they need to walk at. That's a really important point about supporting someone. There are apps. There's an app called Aurora, A-U-R-O-R-A. A-U-R-O-R-A, that's a great app to have on your phone. It's just helpful, um, to, really helpful, particularly for victims in New South Wales. They're kind of some of the things you can do. Okay, now one of the things you've said to me, uh, mm. particularly for people who might know people, is there may be a temptation, and let me say it's a typical kind of man response, uh, I want to go and talk to the bloke mm. um, who's the perpetrator. Um, what would your advice be on that? Please don't. Please don't. Um, the reason being, because again, domestic abuse is about power and control. Can I just clarify, you mean please don't as in the first thing? First thing, please don't go to the perpetrator and go and sort it out with him. Okay. Um, domestic abuse is about power and control. If he feels that that is under threat, uh, while he might say to you, oh, I don't know how you got that impression, no, there's no... Of course not. I love my... Look at me. I'm a lovely Look guy. Look at me. We've, we've played golf together. What are you talking about? Hmm. And then he goes home. And you don't know what's going to happen at home because his whole structure is under threat. And he may not be able to hide it much longer. So he's going to take that out on his wife. So please don't go and think that you can just sort it out in that one conversation. You need to hear the victim. If the victim says please don't say anything to my husband, as hard as that is, you need to honour that and walk with them at the pace that they can walk, unless there's an immediate threat of physical violence. Okay. Now, I take it what we need to do, and I'm going to mention this briefly, is we actually have to get the person into a safe place mm -hmm. before we address the perpetrator. Mm, that's right. Because if the person who's being abused goes back to that relationship, all hell could break loose. Absolutely. Okay. Um, what if I suspect someone is an abuser then? And you think, oh, gee, just, oh, I really think that person is abusing their partner. Mm. What would you say? If you're going to go into that conversation, um, 
recognise it may lead to an increased risk for the victim. So you need to be very, very careful. I would. You'd almost have to have the permission of the yeah, person you being really abused. Yeah, you really do. You really do. And if they've said to you explicitly, don't say, then please don't say, because they know what life is like at home and you don't. Uh, if you're going to, if you've got permission, I would go with another person. And also I would take absolute clear notes about what's been said, particularly if there's a court case or something later on, if it escalates in that way, those can be used in evidence. Okay. Now, as Christians, we hold dearly the sanctity of marriage. Mm. And we absolutely want to try and keep marriages together. And that absolutely is my stance here at St Matthew's. Pastorally, I think historically in the churches, what that's meant is we often have pushed people to stay together when perhaps they shouldn't. What are your thoughts on that? I think we need to be okay that separation is, could be the best option. We need to be okay as a church community that that is possible and that the person who's leaving the abusive situation isn't the one leaving the marriage. Actually, the marriage covenant uh, has been kind of broken before that as the abuse has begun. So we need to be okay with that. We, I think we do have a high view of marriage. We want to hold a high view of marriage and I actually think that helps us because it helps us care for those who are experiencing situations where those marriage obligations have been broken. And it also recognises, helps us recognise when those obligations have been broken. We know what marriage ought to look like. The Bible has given us a great pattern for that. And if it's less than that, if there's abuse that's come into that marriage, we can say, this is not okay. This is my third moment to speak to you as Senior Minister. Uh, I, I want to say this gently. If you are in an abusive relationship, marriage, you need to get out. And I've got a very high view of marriage. But all the statistics show that abusers will not stop. There's a cycle of abuse that takes on. Where the person abuses, uh, they can feel remorse mm -hmm. as a second response. And then the third response is life goes back to normal until the abuse starts again. And that cycle of abuse has to be broken. And the person moving out is the best and safest way for that to happen. And I want to say we will support you as a church if that is what is required. Now, that's not to say that every marriage here that has one little thing wrong needs separation. Mm -hmm. But it is to say where there is abuse taking place, we will support people because everyone has a right to be safe all of the time. And I'm very happy, well not happy, but I will go and confront people who are abusers. But I want the victims, if you're here today, to hear that from me as your senior minister, that we will support you. And I say that because there's a history of ministers encouraging, typically wives, to go back in relationships that are unsafe. And that is wrong. Bruce, can I just also add in at that point, uh, fixing abuse is not about getting into marriage counselling. Uh, it is about safety, first and foremost. 
It requires repentance and ongoing repentance from a, a perpetrator. And it's not about just making the couple sit down together mm. in marriage counselling. That is not going to be the solution for that. Thank point. you for saying that because it mm. absolutely is the case. Yeah. Um, let me just have last question. Mm. Uh, when do you call the police? Uh, this is when it is physical and when children are involved. An AVO can be taken out and I would even go with the person to the police. Uh, if you know someone's in immediate danger, calling the police. Often we're a bit hesitant. We don't want to make things bigger drama than they might be. We don't want to overreact. But if somebody indicates to you that they are in immediate danger or if you're witnessing something, you must call the police. So that's the first occasion. If somebody confesses uh, that they're, they're a victim of domestic abuse, go with them to the police at that point. Make a statement. Get an AVO if possible. Let me finish up. Um, this is a very difficult topic. And there's no doubt churches have made significant mistakes on this in the past. And I've got no doubt that we've made mistakes as a church here at St Matthews. And I wanted to say, if in any way we've not been helpful to victims of abuse, uh, I apologise for that. Uh, as a church, we want to make sure that people are safe all of the time. And particularly in marriages. And if you need help, we would strongly encourage you to talk to someone and seek that. That may mean that the only person you feel safe to talk to is a very close friend in the first instance. That is good. We as a staff team want to help people who are brave enough to put their hand up and we encourage you to be that. We're in the process as a parish council of working through a new policy for domestic violence and abuse in the church. The diocese is putting one out that's coming at Synod in two months' time and we're work we'll be working with that material to make sure that we've got a helpful policy in place so that this is a safe place for people to come. Um, if you do need to contact someone as a result of today's message, we would encourage you to seek us out. Obviously today may not be the day that you want to raise this. I fully understand, though you may be able to get us at a moment though because of the number of people here it is such a sensitive issue we would encourage you to contact us during the week it's um, worth saying we are away Monday Tuesday but the nature of this is um, this is not something that gets solved overnight uh, it's a journey that we have to go on with people that we're prepared to go on with you and so my encouragement is if you are in an unsafe relationship where abuse is taking place Please do get help. And if we can be a part of that, we would be uh, honoured to be able to help in that situation. I want to thank, get uh, us to thank Cara, who's come today to speak and share. Can I get you to put your hands together and thank Cara Hartley? And Cara is available if you'd like to talk to her after the services. She will be speaking again at 5 o'clock and 6.30 if you think there's someone else who needs to come, uh, would benefit from coming and hearing. But I want to finish by praying for us uh, a special prayer we've written on this day for us as a church on this issue. Let us pray. Almighty God and everlasting Lord, you are the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. We come before you now with our hearts burdened for those suffering domestic abuse. For those living in fear right now and those who have escaped abuse and now deal with its consequences. 
We acknowledge it is very likely that we are praying with people experiencing domestic abuse right now and pray Heavenly Father that you would work in their lives to remove them from harm. Bring into the light what is kept in darkness so that change might occur. In the midst of their distress, give people courage to seek help. Lead them to those who can support them. May your perfect love drive out fear and anxiety. We pray that we will be a church where people have absolute clarity that all people have a right to be safe in their homes all of the time. We pray that those who abuse or mistreat others, that they would recognise the harm and sin that they are causing and that they would seek your help and the help of your people and professionals to change what is going on. Please open the eyes of those who are harming others that they might break free from the cycle of abuse. Give grace and sensitivity and wisdom to all who will minister to the victims and survivors of abuse, both to friends and those in leadership. Strengthen those who've been abused with the certainty of your amazing love for them. In all things, we ask that your name be glorified and that we, your people, do justice, love, kindness and walk humbly before you. We ask all these things in the name of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.